There was two incidents that happened in Perth over Christmas last year and March this year, uh, where a father first had taken his life, but also the life of his kids. And then later on, a mother did the same. And for me, it was like, no, nah, like, this has got to stop. You know, there's, there's no way that this is a solution. And, and the more that we keep going down the path that we have been, we're just going to, it's going to end up in more disaster. So for me, it's like, if I can help any dad change the way that they deal with things and, and create, you know, the vision that I want for themselves and also their kids, then that's, that's, you know, that's a win. That's Pat D. Domenico. He was once one of a growing number of single fathers in Australia. Pat's parents were separated when he was growing up and he was dead set on avoiding a repeat with his relationship, but it didn't work out that way. He's been put through the ringer in the family court system and has had a steep learning curve. Now Pat's a husband and father of three, helping single dads navigate co-parenting and to be the best they can be. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. So Pat, you grew up in a broken home. How did that affect you as a kid? At the time, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of how much it actually impacted me, but it probably affected me more as I you know, got into my teens and young adult life. I was the oldest of four boys. I didn't really realise the impact until later on. And later on, like, what was that impact when you reflected or how did you notice it? It was probably the behaviours that I'd... I'd formed, I struggled to connect with people, let people get too close, uh, even, you know, with communicating. It was something that it was very hard for me to, to be genuine and real, I guess you could say. Uh, I was always trying to please people to, to make sure that, you know, everything was fine. You know, the, the house was pretty volatile. Um, you know, my parents had me when I was, when they were quite young. Uh, Mum was nearly 18 when she had me and dad was 20. So they all, you know, kids themselves yeah. uh, and then having to raise their own child um, and not having much life experience, it, it definitely caused a lot of issues. And of course, when you're a little kid and your parents are protecting you and taking care of you, you have no idea what their own personal situation is. But then as you grow up yourself, especially parents in who are that young, having having that many kids, you realise just how much pressure they would have been under, how difficult that was and and the fact that your parents are just people too doing doing it for the first time and we can't really have any appreciation of that as kids until we do it ourselves um, later on in life. Did you feel like that resulted in you being pretty on edge or uh, how do you think it might have impacted your, your personality? Yeah, it definitely caused me to, to, to be on edge and I was very, you know, I was always having to, you know, I felt like I was I was in the need of either you know looking after the younger siblings, being in the situation that 
my parents were in, even so my second brother, he had a, an accident when he was only three, medical procedure that left him with brain damage. Uh, so he was left with cerebral palsy. So that added more complications and you don't really understand the, you know, like you're saying, what your parents go through until one, you become a parent yourself. Mm. Uh, I only became a parent at 30 and I couldn't imagine being a, a parent at 17 or 20. Yeah. The, the, you know, even just how much you, you grow as an individual from 25 to 30 is, is huge, let alone from 17, 18 to, to 30. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm almost, yeah. Oh, I'm almost 29 now um, and I'd, I'd hate to think what kind of parent I would have made in my late teenage years yeah. or my early 20s and still certainly something that I'm um, not ready for just yet, I, I don't feel, but then you probably don't ever feel like you 100% are, I guess, as well. No. So how do you think that made you view relationships, um, seeing your parents separate and the impact that that had how did that factor into how you wanted your own relationships to go and perhaps like the pressures that you put on yourself or just the way that you viewed relationships, intimate relationships in general as you grew into a man? I always wanted to have that connection. So, you know, from a very young age, I can remember being pretty much in some form of relationship from, you know, young teens and always relying on someone else for me to feel you know, enough or that I was very as I say, codependent. But then it gets to a point where once it got too much, we'll get, we're getting too close, I'd do something to you know, sabotage the, the relationship. And, and that's the way I guess I subconsciously was protecting myself because I didn't want the same thing to happen to me as it happened to my parents. You know, I was engaged at 26, which was due to be married. And four months before we called it quits or I called it quits just putting other priorities first and I didn't realize at the time but it was a, a way for me to protect myself because it's like no this is like it can't get more serious than this yeah so once I make this commitment that's it so it definitely didn't help me towards being able to be vulnerable and open and trust someone else that you know the someone else could possibly do the right thing by me so you're a bit of a commitment phobe because you put so much weight on the gravity of that situation and what that would mean and what it would mean for kids and having experienced it yourself, perhaps more so than someone who, who hadn't had that upbringing. Yeah, no, definitely. Hmm. So I still had, there was still an element of control for me that I'm not giving someone that. Yeah. Full commitment as such. And, you know, because I never wanted my kids to go through the same thing that it, that I went through, you know, my parents split up the first time when I was six and the final time when I was 13 and pretty much dad was absent from there till I was about 23 and I had seen him next. And so for me, it was like, there's no way I'm going to let this happen to my kids, but not realizing that I was pretty much creating the, you know, the chaos or the, the end mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that, you know, I, I wasn't fully committed. So when did you, become a, a dad for the first time and how did that come about in a way that you couldn't control? <laughs> Things happen, you know, definitely for reasons. And one was, you know, my son, my first son was, uh, his mother and I weren't actually together when we found out that she was pregnant. So we'll, we'd already been broken up for about a month or so. And 
Then I found out that she was pregnant. And for me, I was like, oh, okay. I know this relationship's not, it's definitely not good for either of us. Yeah. Uh, but I want to do the best that I can uh, for my son. So I was 30, just shy of 31 when my son was born. So I guess you could say I was, I was put in a situation where I had to step up and you know, I wasn't going to allow for my son to have a father who was absent. So I was going to do everything I could with the situation that we had. How do so, you go yeah. during that pregnancy? What was that like between uh, you and the, and the mother of your child and how are you able to try to mentally rationalise that situation, you know, knowing that it's certainly far from ideal and having the, the fears that, you've, that you'd always had, how were you able to put that in perspective during the, the pregnancy? Yeah, so initially it was a little bit challenging. For me it was like, well, I, I don't think that we should have this child because we're definitely not going to be together she wanted to to continue on and so i, I end up you know saying well if, if this is what we're going to do we're going to try and make the best of the situation so we moved in together initially um and i thought you know that that would that would help I'd be, you know the, the agreement was is that i'd stay until everything was settled and then you know i'd move on and to me i thought well this is me at least not walking away from the situation trying to make the most of it and then once i actually left the place we were staying at it's only three three and a half months later where you know i had my first experience of a of a challenging co-parenting uh relationship where uh you know i was told that if i wanted to see my son again i'd have to go through the courts so that started the uh four and a half year journey of uh you know, the family courts so when you actually brought a child into this world and that happened, how do you describe that moment and that feeling that you got, although everything was far from perfect, can you give us an understanding of what that's actually like when that happens and how your life changes? It's hard to put in, in words, but I'll do the best I can to describe it. it it's a moment where there's, there's something else bigger than you. It, it pretty much for me, it was like, you know, wow, this is another human being that I've co-created that is, you know, my responsibility to to give, you know, the best upbringing possible. You know, the love and the connection is is there from, you know, the first second, you know, especially when, you, when I held my son and, you know, he made his first noises and so forth. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely an experience that, you know, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. I've been fortunate enough to, to have uh, that three times now, it's always special every time. So what was your attitude towards being a dad initially and after you, the mother of your child had given birth and you guys were then going to try to make it work for a time? Like what was your attitude yeah. towards being a dad and, and how did you see your, your role within that? So for me, I've always been of the mindset that as long as I provide, put a roof over us, you know, make sure that we've got food on the table, pay for all the bills. I've done my job. And I try to help out, you know, here and there. But for me, I've always been big on on my work. Pretty much since I was about maybe 15. I can't remember not working a Saturday. So for me, six days a week was just a normal thing. And that didn't change because my mindset was still I needed to get to a certain level before I felt comfortable that I could provide the life that I, that my son needed. 
So if anything, it put me more into overdrive mm. with work because I felt like, well, this was unexpected. I'm not where I want to be. You know, I don't want to not be able to give him the life that, that he deserves or that I wanted to, to give him. So that was for me was, okay, I've done everything that I need to do. So now I need to focus on this and make sure, you know, I stick to my goals and, and get to where I need to be so that I could, you know, provide the life that I wanted for, for my kids. What were you doing for work? So con- construction um, and property. So at the time, I just started working with a mate of mine who was a residential uh, builder and developer. And I just parted ways from a previous business that I'd been running for seven years. And um, yeah, for me, it was a, a new opportunity and a pathway I wanted to go. And I felt like I needed to prove myself. So I had to even put in more effort and coming from a, you know, having my own business prior, you know, you know having the mindset that I needed to do everything as if it was my own. So I was, you know, 12, 14 hour days was just like the standard. I'd leave in the morning before I'd wake up, you know, I'd come home, it'd be pretty late at night, wouldn't have dinner most nights and yeah that was that was me pretty much six days a week and was that a form of escape for you do you see it that way like obviously you were doing something completely necessary and you were able to find a role in that and a level of control in that i imagine but you weren't there a lot of the time because you were out providing in other ways and did you view it that way like it was a breath of fresh air when you weren't in the home which wasn't the kind of home that you were really aiming for yeah, I didn't realize that at the time, but looking back now, I realized that part of it was me not knowing how to be a dad. You know, my dad wasn't there for most of my life. You know, I didn't have that connection with him and I didn't want to fail. So part of it was if I'm doing what you know I need to do over here, then it doesn't put me in a situation where, you know, I stuff up as a dad. Like, Yeah. So you were, you were focusing on what you knew, on the stuff that you knew yeah. how to control and, and, you know, you knew you could get up and go to work and work hard and justify that and you didn't have much of an idea about the other stuff around being a dad. So the mentality was like, well, if I sort of leave that to the mother and don't address it, then it should be sweet. Everything will be fine. I only learn later that, that that's not quite how things go. So what did, you, what did you miss out on because of that or what issues did that cause? I would have missed out, you know, on certain moments, you know, from that while I was still in the household because of the impact that it and the strain that it caused on the relationship, then that caused for me to miss out on a lot afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, especially the times where, you know, during the four and a half years with family courts where there was up to times of nine months where I wouldn't see my son. My son's mother felt like, that uh, you know, it wasn't in the best interest of my son. How did that uh, relationship between you and her devolve as you got further and further into being parents and having to try to co- co-parent and work around each other? How did that progress over time? Pretty much from the time that I left and I had to start going through you know, lawyers and mediation and all that. It only got worse because we had no form of communication for me the first thing when i heard what my son's mother had said was well i take this quite seriously so monday morning first thing i'm at the lawyers 
Yep. Uh, and for her, it was an attack. And this was from when your and son was three months old? He was 10 months old at the time. And yeah, because of my response to her, her you know, suggestion or comments, she saw that as an attack and then we just end up um, in a shit fight and, you know, with more stress and pain than, uh, than it's necessary. And that was every week that you were dealing with lawyers or responding to comments or hearing comments sure. and then so, and having to have that yeah. linger on your mind? Especially in the, in the later years, probably in the last couple of years, I'd have to, you know, take notes. Um, you know, I was due to have a, you know, like a, a Skype call with, with my son and uh, my son's mother would say, you know, he's not available or he'd be in the car 30 seconds before he goes to, to kinder. And for me, it was like a constant strain and on my brain and, you know, having to record things, make sure that I'm there for the calls, even though I knew that most of the time, you know, no one would answer. Uh, but doing that on a day-to-day basis, then your lawyer's calling you, you know, like he was calling me at times at 9.30 at night on Sundays because, uh, you know, for preparation for court. And I'm like, just like I need a break. Like yeah. this is... Because you're still working, working most of the time as well and, and yeah. trying to have a life too. But I imagine it must just be such a burden, such a weight on you. It's so hard to concentrate on pretty much anything else a lot of the time as well. And that, um, you know, caused a lot of, you know, health issues, especially you know, mental issues for me at the start of the journey. Uh, it wasn't something I expected. And, you know, I felt like a complete failure. You know, how did I end up in this situation where I brought a child into this world and now I don't have their, their you know, father that's, that's present. So, you know, pretty much I was on antidepressants for a good four, four years. Uh, and a good two and a half years of that, I pretty much was double dosing just to get by. Did you have any other coping strategies? Um, were there anything else that manifested as a result of, of you trying to just get by? The only thing that would help other than that was I had therapy sessions pretty much every week, as well as if I was able to, you know, to exercise. At the time, I'd, I had a couple of fights in between in, during those four years. So I was competing in MMA and that was one of the things that really helped me get through the days that I was really struggling because I'd, I'd already worked out earlier in that morning and it was some you know, endorphins that I was able to release. And Was it also about sort of having joy. something to focus on and a community as, as well? So somewhere you could go, you could go to, go to the gym and you could talk to people and you could, when you, I do martial arts myself, when you're doing that, you can't think about anything else because you're going to pay the price if you do. Yeah. yeah, it gave you that that element of like a short break from the world where you didn't have to worry about anything else other than that. And, and that was pretty much my only real relief that I had during that time. So what were you really struggling with when you think back to that and times where you were alone and you were tossing stuff up in your head or how do you define what was most difficult for you about the situation mentally? Being stuck and worrying about things that essentially I had no control of. I had no control of whether my son was going to be available at the specific time. You know, I had no control of 
what the outcome was going to be with you know the courts, how much time I was going to have with with my son, and then you know with that poor habits of you know not looking after my health, eating, you know I'd have periods where I fluctuate between 105 to 137 kilos within months. I get to extreme pain, then I'll be like, right, I need to. You know, I need to do something about it. So comfort eating was part of how you sort of dealt with stuff as well. Were you conscious of that? Like you would just eat your feelings, it sounds like? Yeah. Well, I did that as a kid as well. You know, at the age of 10, I'd already weighed 80 kilos. I was only like five foot six. <laughs> it's a big 10-year-old, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was still doing the same stuff in my adult life. But I didn't really realize it, that that was the pattern. For me, it was just like, you know, it's just food. It just made me feel good mm. or what I use for fuel to get, to get by. Did you have any support? I did, but I think with part of my ways growing up, like I never wanted to, even though I wanted connection, I didn't want support. I didn't want help because it was like I'm the one that, that gives the support. I'm the one that is meant to, to be okay. Mm. So for me, it was like, I, you know, I'd, I need to deal with it. This is, I'll, I'll work it out. Typical, um, uh, typical man attitude. Yeah, definitely didn't serve me. Had to learn the hard way. But yeah, that was that was my my thing. You know, I'm getting therapy. So for me, I thought, well, I'm doing something more than maybe most guys would. Did that help? It, it did. Uh, it did. But I was like this onion that had a lot of layers, uh, and it took a lot of work to um, to get to really the core essence of what. You know, the the issues were forming and where the you know the patterns all started from. Were you able to develop a relationship with your son? How did that period of time, which was so tumultuous, impact your relationship with him? Now, do you still feel the effects of yeah. that? Uh, I did. It's it's funny because uh, last year September we moved to to Perth and in the best interest of the family, you know, all that stuff that was going on with Melbourne with restrictions and mm. with COVID and all that. You and your new partner. Correct, yeah, me and my wife. And I thought that that would make the relationship worse. But when I actually had the opportunity to, you know, February this year to start travelling to Melbourne once a month and spending, you know, a long weekend with him and I was, it was just one-on-one, just me and him, you know, it's what are we like? I've probably gone there half a dozen times I brought him to perth twice for the school holidays we're definitely closer now than we were before one because i'm open to to being vulnerable and, and giving myself to him and two because i'm actually focused on him you know during the times that we're you know spending time together where before i'd always be distracted because it's there's something else going on like someone's calling from work or yeah I'm worrying about something else. Uh, when now, it's like I'm actually focused on him during those times, which has actually helped our relationship a lot more. How were you able to bring about that change and leave your ego to one side and the fact that you you might have been right or you might have been wrong or she might have done the wrong thing or you know who knows? But there was all that mess and noise. How have you been able to put that aside and and just focus on the needs of the child? It took some serious pain and some lessons to to be able to realize that but one of one of the things that even my you know my three-year-old said to me when we were moving houses here in perth 
uh, recently, he said to me, you know, are you moving houses with us? Because even me just traveling to Melbourne for four to seven days a month, he felt the impact of that. And that like shocked, you know, shocked me. Like a three, my three-year-old son is, you know, not sure whether his dad's going to be around or not. And and then I reflected back to me as as a kid and everything that I, you know, what is it I really want? Like it's to have a loving relationship that I didn't have with, you know, with my dad. So it's like, what do I need to do to be able to have that? And it's not think of myself. And what 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 is it in the best interest of like my kids and with my son's mother that I'm co-parenting, even though we don't necessarily, we don't communicate still, but it's like, well, what can I do? You know, I'll, I'm not going to engage in conversations that are not going to help us get into, you know, any form of moving forward. Just be courteous and polite to, to let her know things. And um, that, you know, I didn't, I thought, well, stuff I don't really need to let her know, but just trying to do anything to move forward because it's like, it's, it's pointless. You know, I've moved on with my life and, um, you know, she has a new partner now. So, you know, why should we stay in this rut? Um, and, and hopefully we're able to eventually move on and for the benefit of our son, because I know it definitely impacts him in ways that you know, we may not be able to see it at, at the time. So is it something that he ever talks about or, yeah, is it something that you communicate to him about or do you don't really speak about it when you yeah. see him? I don't mention anything about his mum when we're together. Um, other than, you know, it's whether it's her calling to to speak to him during the times like when he came over for school holidays. But, I, you know, I, I just completely avoid you know, just discussing anything in regards to their household or, you know, what they do. Because one, it's, you know, it's not my business. And the main thing for me is as long as my son's okay, then then I'm all good. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, there's, there's things of, for instance, earlier on when the piece where I'd buy him something and I'd ask him about, you know, how this thing's going and he's like, oh, it's in the bin. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And, you know, I don't ask anything, but I know obviously what, you know, what's happened and he'll avoid now wanting to take stuff with him. And that's without me even saying anything. Um, so, he, you know, kids know what's going on uh they're not they're not silly uh so they're the things that i you know try to do the best i can to minimize the you know the issues that he experiences so that you know to not have hopefully too much of an impact on his later days when he grows up and then meeting your now wife and having two more children how'd you go about that from a mental standpoint having just and still now going through the the experience of your, your first child and his mother going into then uh, another relationship and, and more kids, how are you able to sort of orient yourself with all that and, and what mentality did you go into that with? I definitely didn't go into it with a good mentality. Part of it was still having that need to to have that relationship, you know, that, you know, that teddy bear is kids need as a, as a comfort and I wasn't necessarily being the dad that I still wanted to be even though my kids that I lived in the same house 
I was still doing the same stuff with work and everything. And it, it pretty much took for me to move away for me to be able to change my habits. Uh, and first was working on myself and being able to really go deep and acknowledge the things and, and work on the things that were that I was struggling with. And one of the things was looking after my health. And then from there, I've been able to change my mindset and approach, you know, my marriage, my relationship with all my kids. You know, I work from home now instead of working at an office or, you know, on site or a location where like I used to. You know, it took some issues for me to be able to to realize that, you know, if, if I wanted to not be in the same situation again, I, I had to act and, and make some change. You feel like you've changed from when you had your first child to the man that you are now and the dad you are now? Wow. So, so much, even in the last 12 months. But from the first time that I became a dad, like I'm a completely different person. Uh, you know, my values, what's important to me, that that's all, all changed, you know, not being in uh, that state of anger and frustration with, you know, even my own childhood and stuff like that. It, that's all changed, which I think, has resulted in me having a better relationship with my own kids and, and my wife. So yeah, massive, massive shift. In your view, how do you reckon the family court system is set up against fathers? I don't think it's, it's definitely not, it doesn't have a view of, you know, looking at both sides as, as equal. You know, one of the first times I went to court, I was told that if you don't agree to what is suggested and we have to wait for a later hearing date, it might be, you know, why not see your son for 12 to 18 months? Um, and I was like, well, okay, isn't that pretty much like extortion? Like, you know, I haven't agreed to something that I don't necessarily think that it's right, but it's, you know, the view is that especially when kids are at a certain age, they're more reliant on their, on the birth mother. Uh, for you know, certain reasons, you know, like feeding and, and so forth. It is definitely challenging. You know, I'll never forget the first time I even walked into court, like seeing a dad completely tears and who knows what, you know, was the result of, of his case. But yeah, it, it's it's definitely a system that I don't think is is looked at from an equal perspective of what, what's in the best interest for the kids as such. I guess um, when you're going up against a, a whole system, it's not like it's probably something you're going to be able to change on your own. So it sounds like you came to a place where you were able to change your perspective and change your outlook and, and the way that you were approaching this very difficult situation where you decided to stop butting heads and try to try your best to be courteous and and be agreeable and not i i suppose i wouldn't say back down and, and give up by any means but just to sort of change your your approach and think about it in a different way because it sounds like you were just banging your head on a brick wall and doing the same thing again and again getting the same result getting angry not being healthy being frustrated nothing getting better which i think is how a lot of men dealing with the family court system feel and then the yeah. thing the thing that you were able to change was how you were approaching it and making a decision in your mind to do things 
differently and that that eventually led to a better result. But it wasn't like you single-handedly changed the court system to then make a different decision. You made a different decision. Absolutely. Uh, and the realisation was I didn't find out my son what school he was going to until the day that it was enrolled. And part of the court orders was that we both had to agree uh, on our school that you know, it would be best for our, for our son. And when I went to, to court and had you know brought that up, it was pretty much just brushed over. And for me, I was like, well, okay, wait a minute. I'm not actually going to get anywhere if I keep doing the same thing that I'm doing. So it was, like you said, me taking a different approach. Like, okay, I'm still going to be present. I'm still going to show up for my son when, when, I, you know, when I need to. I'll always be there and I'm not going to you know, ruin the next whatever amount of years until my son's old enough to make his own decisions. You know, our relationship, my life, his life and everyone else around us because, like, really, none of us are going to change the law. You know, overnight, and I think continuously attacking uh, and fighting one another is is definitely not going to be the solution. You know, mm. the court's already backlogged as it is. The last thing we need to do is just add more, yeah, you know, uh, fuel to the fire. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting point and one that I'm just thinking. If I was listening to this and I was a single dad and I was in that sort of situation, what would I want to hear? What's something that I can start to do differently because I'm so frustrated and I think it's just very interesting hearing you put it that way and say that it was about changing the way that you were viewing things and how you were approaching it and I guess in, in some ways being the the bigger man and maybe having to swallow your pride a bit because that was the only way forward and that's a really important piece of advice. Why are you so motivated to help other single dads? I mean, you're not a single dad anymore. Do you still yeah. consider yourself one? Uh, no, no, definitely not. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have, uh, you know, a wife in my life and the support that she's given me. Uh, she's definitely helped me through you know, the journey. But I remember the the first time that you know, I'd experienced, you know, I was a single dad from day one, but experienced, you know, being in that situation of I'm not knowing where I stand, what, you know, access I was going to have to my son. And one of the the main reason for, for me changing you know, careers from construction and property for 20 years to, to, to this was there was two incidents that happened in Perth over Christmas last year and March this year uh, where a father first had taken his life but also the life of his kids and then later on a mother did the same. And for me, it was like, no, nah, like this has got to stop. You know, there's, there's no way that this is a solution and and the more that we keep going down the path that we have been we're just gonna it's gonna end up in more disaster so for me it's like if i can help any dad change the way that they deal with things and and create you know the vision that i want for themselves and also their kids then that's that's you know that's a win and a lot more fulfilling for me than than any other career that i could do and how have you been doing that so for so far, what sort of an impact have you seen that make on some other dads? Um, it's you know initially I just started with you know the podcast, and I was starting to get some some feedback, you know, some messages, you know, from dads being grateful for for being open and vulnerable and sharing my story, and then I started working with a few dads one on one, and 
and for them to be able to change their their mindset and, and approach the situation different uh, differently to you know, what they'd been doing all the time previously, which resulted in them being a lot more happier, them focusing on what's in the best interest for their kids, not the battle between them and their direct partner. And yeah, it's it's a much more enjoyable you know, situation than than it was before. What's this done for your own healing, I suppose, around this situation that you went through, which is ongoing to the extent that your son's going to have a life and be part of your life forever. Impact, though, has your, does your work now have on your own healing from that situation of the pain that you went through and also the way that you've come to understand it all and everything that's happened? Yeah, this whole process from initially working myself, but then also now working with dads, it, it's helped me as well, um, you know, dealing with being more, having a lot more insights even on my own experiences, whether it's a child or in, in a, as an as a adult co-parenting, it's, it's definitely helped me through my own process. And, you know, I'm a lot more confident, a lot more vulnerable. I, I own more of who I am, uh, where before it'd, it'd be like, you know, I wasn't comfortable in in being able to speak up, and I think having you know the confidence to be able to share my story has definitely helped me heal. But I think if a lot more other dads uh, were were open to to you know even speaking with someone, uh, that would help them through their experience. And just getting it off your chest and not having to think that you need to put the whole you know, weight of the world on your own own shoulders and and deal with everything yourself. Yeah, it's a really important message to put out there and it's great to create something as a service for men to be able to access because anecdotally it sounds like there's so many men who really struggle with the family court system, really have a tough time co-parenting, seem like they get a raw deal a lot of the time and there's not really anywhere to turn to other than your typical psychologist, psychiatrist, counsellor, which is all important, but having other men that we can turn to and be coached through it and someone who really gets it from that, um, that level of experience, I think that that's super important, not something that's really existed before. So take my hat off to you for using that, that pain that you went th through and turning it into something that's so productive because it's obviously super needed. Uh, where can people find more of you, Pat? Yeah, they, they can, uh, Contact us through you know, our website, resiliantdad.com, or you know, through our social media pages, um, you know, our Facebook group, Resilient Dad. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the best way to, to contact us. Sweet. Well, thanks for telling us your story and uh, for, for being such a good dad by the sounds of things. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for having us on. Cheers, man. That's it for this episode. Thanks to our local business supporters, Heard Financial and First National Real Estate. Making these podcasts isn't cheap and we can't do it alone. If you'd like to become a supporter, please send an email to callum at youngbloodmedia.com.au. If you're getting some value out of the show, please give us a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps us out. You can watch every episode in studio quality video on Spotify and our YouTube channel, Young Blood Men's Mental Health. We go by the same name on Instagram and Facebook and follow Young Blood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. We're all in this together. 
Catch you next time.